Love War. Welcome to the Love War Podcast. As always, we're Grant and Brian. One of us is a professional musician, pastor, and recovering pastor's kid. The other, a media and public relations expert, a writer, and a pop culture aficionado. Brian, what's going on, man? How you doing? It's been such a long time since we since we did this. What's going on? Yeah, there was a good reason for that. I think you know that there was a good reason for that. I um, So uh, at, at the end of February, we moved, uh, and the day after the movers brought our stuff, uh, our daughter came a month early. So the last few months have been me Crazy. like learning the parenthood thing. So, so that's what's been going on. I'm glad to sort of be uh, in a normal schedule now and feel like my life is actually my life. For a while there, it felt like I was leading somebody else's life, you know? So, so it's been good. Mm-hmm. No doubt. I, is that the? I mean, I know you've had like a ton of things happen at once, right? You had a, you had a, you had a, a child. You moved into a new house. I mean, everything at once, man. That's crazy. That's yeah, like- we've had like a full house since then. A friend of mine is living with me, and a college student for a while. Uh, Becky's my wife's grandmother was living with us, so it was like it, it was really like a sitcom in here. And it's still it still sort of is, but it's been it's been good. So what's what's up with you? How have the last four months been? You have any exciting news yeah, to man. tell us? Uh, I mean, uh, we're you know, I I got I had a lot of vacation in, which was awesome. I mean, like I've just been floating on a lake, you know, for uh, for the past few months. Not really, but it's been you know, it's been great. I've been working on my wife's album, basically. Uh, it's, taking up a lot of the time and um you know just really you know digging into stuff at um uh where i'm on on staff at church and all that and uh, so you know it's been it's been quite a quite a quick season the funny thing is though is i feel like man i feel like the summer's like over you know i'm like planning for fall right now i'm like man i it's gone you know, like it's 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 dwindling. You know, like it's crazy. And it, it, it's it's funny. You know, time doesn't move any faster for us, but the the percentage of time that each day takes of your life, like it gets progressively smaller. So in a way, there's like a sort of time travel that happens when we feel like the seasons are passing us by more quickly than they they used to be. Like in a in a very real sense, they are. You know. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I'm really excited about, I mean, I know we've, we've had so many conversations about, you know, our, our topic for today. And I, you know, it's, uh, it's what I spend most of my time doing. Um, I don't know. I mean, there's just so much to say about worship and modern worship and worship in the church and all of those things. I mean, I know you have a ton on your heart about this as well, for sure. Yeah, I do. Like, and the big thing to me is, and you can argue about this all day, but what is worship? What constitutes worship? It's something that you probably talk about pretty frequently in your day-to-day life, uh, just in your in your everyday job, um, and, and what creates a worshipful experience. Um, it's so subjective, you know, and it's, it's different to everybody. So being able to do that in community and do it successfully for most or all of the people there is, is difficult. And I've been on worship teams before. I've never been a worship leader. I've never done what you do, but I know how difficult it is for me, especially like on a day when I'm just not feeling it, to get up there and like do the music thing and to feel like like half of the service hinges on whether or not I can hit that note on the guitar. So I'm no stranger <laughs> to that, you know? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm yeah, I mean, before we... I, I mean... I, I think the time. The funny thing is, is there's just so much to say and so much to talk about about in this and like. But I mean, there's been before we jump into my world. There's been so much going on in your world, like in the media world, um, where you're at. I mean, come on, man. I mean, like while we were going, all of a sudden, like Facebook went from, you know, a, a social site to like. Uh, I mean. <laughs> a congressional hearing and yeah you know what's funny (laughs) like so i just realized that like in the notes because we we write notes for um for the podcast and i just realized that the last podcast that we were going to do 
was uh, during the congressional hearing, the, the Facebook Cambridge Analytica scandal. And it's so funny that I left that in there because the um, because one, it was accidental, but two, like a, a lot of <laughs> a lot of the stuff that that we get um, when we're talking about worship, a lot of the stuff that we get, the opinions that we get, and the ideas that we get about what worship is and, and what it isn't comes from what we see online. Um, I'm most often introduced to new worship songs by like my mom posting them on her Facebook page. That's how I find out the new stuff. Or like walking into church and you guys are playing something that I've never heard before. Um, but like those are those are my main arenas, digital spaces. It's my main area of finding out about this new stuff because it used to be like turn on Christian radio. Um, and I don't, I don't do that anymore. I don't have much of a wavelength for that. When I'm in the car, I'm listening to NPR, some boring old dude stuff. So, (laughs) so like, um, and I think that worship has changed in digital spaces. I, I think that it's changed what worship means to us. Um, I know that when, Becky is doing like quiet time because she's a, a college minister. When she's doing quiet time and preparation at time and uh, preparation uh, times at home, she actually turns on like Facebook videos or YouTube to watch her favorite worship songs. So, you know, and there's something to be said for that. And then there, there's also something to a question there about what the difference is between that type of intimate personal worship and the corporate stuff that you get at church. So all good topics, all stuff that I think that we can delve into later today. Um, the, the first thing that I want to cover, though, is like, let's let's talk about music and worship. Let's first talk about music in general. And, and um, it's something that means a lot to both you and me. Sort of what's your what's your story when it comes to what you like and what you play? I, you know, I, music has been a, a, a part of my life since I was, you know, um, as, as far as I can remember, I, I mean, I can really tribute my, my family, my grandmother, um, uh, basically with, I, 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 like, I don't remember a time before, like, any kind of music lessons, like, my earliest, oh, wow, like, my like my earliest memory is me taking piano lessons. Like, Are I you can't kidding? Remember anything? Before. And how old were you at like, that I, time? I, yeah, I don't know, like four, five. Wow. I don't know. I, I don't know. Something like I I'm sure that's I'm sure it's backwards in my mind. I don't know. I just know that I took like thirteen years or thirteen or ten something crazy years of piano lessons, and I'm still like a horrible piano player. So, oh really? I mean. Yeah, like I, I, you know, I can you know mess around and all that, but I, so piano was like my first instrument, but like the drums were my first like actual proficient instrument. Sure, sure. I, 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 I I don't know. I'm sure that there's a there's a million people out there that can be you know hated piano lessons and all that. My my grandmother was just, I mean, she was so classically proficient. She was just, you know, she was so good. Um, but, and like, you know, I'm sure she was ashamed of me, honestly, when I was a kid, because <laughs> yeah, I was so terrible. True. But I mean, but like, uh, I, those, like, and you know, when it came to worship, she was, you know, the piano player, the organ player. My grandfather was a pastor. My dad was a worship leader, you know, and he's a pastor and all kinds of you know, so it was just kind of woven. You know, it was just, it's in my blood, in my DNA from the beginning, and um, it's actually kind of funny because I, like, in, in I don't know how it was with you, but um, you know, I grew up on like, like my dad was a big like um, Larnell Harris fan and like <laughs> the old, like old school gospel and sure. stuff, and like all of a sudden like. You know, like Carmen came around, like what's going? You know, Carmen was really interesting, and then you know. So meanwhile, like all this Christian stuff, you know, uh, and like you know, in the in the in the late '80s and early '90s, you know, all this stuff is going on, you know, outside in church music, and the in church music is a little bit like you know confused because like Carmen's doing some rap stuff, and everybody thought (laughs) it was like it was the coolest thing. The righteous invasion of truth, the riot. Yeah. Right, and like the the funny thing is, I give him so many, so much props for what he did in in those days because nobody was like really doing that. Sure, and like you know, I, you know, and and uh, so, so that was 
that was just I don't know that was just real funny and I just I was on this um I was on this kind of this journey to find like a harder beat you know what I mean like yeah, I yeah. just wanted a harder beat like I was obsessed with the drums I couldn't really play at that point and I was just um I just became obsessed with something that was harder and um I started taking drum lessons with a with a friend of mine who's you know he was older than me he actually owns a studio and is a uh, producer and all that in um in Jersey now and uh so um he was actually a huge part his name is Andy he was a huge part of my formidable uh musicality if you will from yeah, yeah. the very 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 beginning so you know so like you have all these weird you know when you grow up in the church you have all these weird influences and you have all these really good influences and um, you know, and then, you, you know, the search for a harder beat, like, you know, introduced me to punk rock and, you know, I think every Christian kid ran into MXPX somewhere oh, yeah. and, uh, and tooth and nail in the early tooth and nail days. And then, um, you know, it was just kind of on from there and then, you know, on to kind of some singer songwriter stuff and, you know, metal swings around in there and then, you know. So now it's just, I don't know, I'm all over the place. And then I studied music for a while. So you had like, you know, this, this classical thing going on in there too. So I'm, um, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I'm all over the place for sure. What, what about you? Like what, what is your earliest, what's your early, earliest uh, musical memory? Yeah, my earliest memory, um, perhaps <laughs> my earliest memory period is sitting in the back of my dad's... Um, Dotson and Dotson became Nissan. So like it was in the um, late eighties. Like a two eighty Z. I don't I don't remember what it was. It was either you know what it might it was either a Dotson or a Volkswagen Rabbit. So like mm-hmm. two two things that they don't make anymore. But um, <laughs> but I was laying in the back seat of his car on a blanket and listening to um, God Only Knows by the Beach Boys, and that's my first mm-hmm. memory. And and the album that that came off of Pet Sounds is still like my favorite album of all time. So fortunately, like my my dad didn't ruin music for me, um, mm-hmm. but he did. Like he's very conservative in in all ways. Like um, when I started branching out into the stuff that my mom liked, uh, which was like Duran Duran, he was like, "Well, that's secular music." And then when I started listening to metal music like Iron Maiden he's like you know have you turned your soul over to the devil we we get along <laughs> over it now you know um in fact my my daughter's first concert was uh when when she was in utero of course was uh Iron Maiden which was awesome so we well, yeah but um but I, I listened think my first I think my first concert was Phil Keggy actually one of the greatest guitarists of all time like it, and right, it might have yeah. been lame as a kid but that dude like he can he can really more than yeah, almost anybody alive find his way around a fretboard and he only has he, four fingers on his right hand yeah they say he cut one off just to prove that he was the best you know so <laughs> I don't, i'm not sure if that was but it, you know it's funny though now well i used to like I think I was like, I don't know, I was barely like a year. I was probably like three months old. I don't, you know, when I was, you know, that's what they tell me. That was my first show, my first concert. But later on, like, um, man, I would, like, I would go to bed every single night putting on one of his videos, like, on VHS, like, listening to it every single night. Just, I mean, he's obviously, you go on for days and his command and melody and, and the fretboard, like you were saying, but... I think I don't know, man. Like, there's just so you know. I, when I started to discover uh, like secular music, it was like another world for me. Like, um, uh, <laughs> like when I discovered Smashing Pumpkins as like a, a you know ten year old, yeah, nine year old, or whatever it was, eleven year old, whatever it was, was was really interesting. And um, I I I didn't know. I couldn't put my finger on it then, but I was like, man, like. When I listen to this stuff that I'm not allowed to listen to, it seems like the drums are turned up so much more. Like it seems like it seems like I can really feel the beat here. Whereas like the stuff that like my dad says I should listen to, I can't really I can't really feel the drum. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And I mean you're you're talking about so um Jimmy Chamberlain, the Pumpkins drummer, and, and um if I'm dating you correctly, the album that would have 
been new at that time in your life would have been the um, the double album Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness, right. which yep. was mm-hmm. like sort of the shot heard around the world for the the melding between like indie music and grunge music, um, mm-hmm. in, in a time where it was way cooler. Uh, after Kurt Cobain's death to to be loud and aggressive and they had some real sensitivity the drums really kicked butt you know like um, when when you listen to a song like 1979 even a a song that's uh, a little bit quieter um, and a a little bit more mid-tempo just has this enormous drum sound that that's like the first thing that that you hear in that song um, and the Christian music that I was listening to back in that time, that was the same year, I believe, 95, that, uh, that DC Talk's Jesus Freak came out. And they kind of capitalized <laughs> on the grunge movement there, too. But um, it was really interesting that, um, looking back, that in that era, the Christian music even that I gravitated toward was the stuff that was either um, hawking or imitating the secular music of the day or was stuff that was so wild and crazy and innovative that it would have done well in a secular market several songs from jesus freak did do well in the secular market and i think that that's a testament to the quality of the music um so uh, and and i i blame dc talk and and jesus freak and all of that stuff for like getting me into harder music because once once you listen to stuff like that like you can't go back I remember bringing home a, a POD album. I think it was the Fundamental Elements of Southtown, and I was uh, <laughs> I was either yeah. a, I was an early teenager, and my dad's like, "Can you repeat to, to me any of the lyrics? Like, can you sing them back mm-hmm. to me?" I was like, "No, because I don't know them." He's like, right. "Well, how do you know that they're a Christian band?" I, was like, I assume oh, that they are dude. because I got it at a Christian. You know, I know that they're on MTV, Christian but I, I got it at Christian Light Bookstore, dude. Like, that's where I got it. <laughs> it was. And my dad would, yeah, my dad would be like, uh, he'd make me like print out the lyrics for all the albums that I wanted to listen to, and he's like, "All right, I'll tell you if this is Christian or not." And I'm right, right. Like, I I don't know. They sell this in uh, you know Christian bookstores, so whatever. Yeah. Fun fact, by the way, um, you mentioned Jesus Freak. So one of the people we are working with on my with in my wife's new record played drums on or was one of the drummers on Jesus Freak which is what, what's his name uh, his name is Scott Williamson huh I remember seeing his um, name in the yeah. liner notes for that album yeah he's uh, he's in there somewhere I'm not really sure where but he was telling he, we were talking about it actually and um, so anyway so that's yeah it's really funny I actually I asked him I was like were you the guy that played the splash symbol on in the light that like set <laughs> set off like all these worship drummers deciding to play a splash somebody's like right, right. That wasn't me. <laughs> but it was yeah it was kind of fun so like when um, i when but i yeah man i mean, no you can go ahead i'm sorry <clears throat> no i was just gonna say i mean like it's it's funny because there was this you know obviously we grew up in like a time where you had um not only the worship wars but you had uh i mean that's still going on but you had this new secular versus christian situation you know and um this whole you know and and our parents were the ones that you know if they weren't saved and didn't grow up in the church it was really popular to burn your records so like sure yeah unfortunately there are a ton of original zeppelin albums that have been burned at churches all over and now I mean, they're even more valuable, which is really hilarious. But, right, um, right. Because I am still still trying to get my hands on one, actually. So. Simple supply and demand. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, um, when it comes to Christian and secular music, though, I think I think that the the reason that that became a big topic, and we were talking a few weeks ago about like how we would have these Christian magazines that had like, you know, don't listen to, for example. Matchbox 20 because their lyrics glorify drinking and sex and they have swear words in them. Instead, listen to Big Tent Revival. And I'm not knocking on Big Tent Revival or anything, but those two bands sound nothing alike. And yeah. and but it was still a time when Christian music started to become a little bit more creative. The stuff that Tooth and Nail was putting out back then, bands like um, MXPX and Starflyer 59 and Joy Electric. Um, like that was that was really good and innovative stuff in in almost any market, 
Um, and it, it seems like Christian music got to the point where, at that point, people were not content to just go along with the crowd and be the secular version of Green Day, or I'm sorry, the Christian version of Green Day, but to forge their own path yeah. and do their own thing. And that kind of brings me into one of my big gripes about worship music. And I told Grant that like this podcast, we, we might see some clashes here because when I see modern worship music and when I turn on the local Christian radio station that used to play what I thought was really compelling Christian rock and really like daring um, music in in any market, Christian or secular. When I turn on the the Christian radio station now, all I'm hearing is three or four different versions of the same six or seven worship songs, and it it, it frustrates me because it 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 dis dissuades me from even looking at what new Christian music sounds like because I feel like that worship music it's just it, it all sounds the same. I you know there's so many things going on. In that, I mean, you've obviously everybody hears about oh the demise of the, of the of the music industry in the last you know whatever twelve years and fifteen years or whatever it was and ten years actually, and um, the Christian music industry probably took you know even harder of a hit where it was really interesting where. Um, Christian music was Christian music, and then, you know, worship came and kind of revolutionized everything, which is, I think, was awesome and really interesting in, in another way to where everything that now is on radio is just, it's all, you know, worship music, and you have, like you said, you have the band, you have, you know, a few different bands that are still on, like, a large, you know, label that are pushing covers of whatever the worship song is, so... Uh, and I, you know, why? Because that's what people are listening to and that's what's selling the hardest right now, you know? So I've talked to a lot of the guys that actually record the stuff that are the ones in the studio recording it. And, you know, it's funny, you know, they're so thankful, obviously, for their jobs and, you know, that they get to record music for a living in Christian music. But it's really interesting when they say, you know, like nobody's creating, there's not a lot of people creating new christian stuff it's all worship stuff it's really right. interesting and i think i i think it's really um and now obviously worship when it comes to worship uh, a lot in, in people's minds they they align worship with corporate worship or stuff that you can put you know that you can sing on a sunday morning sure. right that would work on a sunday morning as opposed to worship full, as opposed to this is Christian because it's God-centered, as opposed to, you know, not God-centered, right? So that's like this whole line of, of, you know, what is Christian in worship and all that. And I've always made that distinction. You have plenty of Christian music, you know, or you you used to have that, whereas now it's, it's, it's all mainly worship. And there's not necessarily, you know, a lot of people will be like, well, you know, come on, man, it's encouraging the church, it's building up the church. Yeah, that's absolutely true, but from a creative standpoint and creativity standpoint, it's building up the church. It's building up a portion of the church. Um, what about the, you know, what about the the portion that, you know, is looking for other something else other than like, you know, your corporate you know, worship, you know, chorus, you know what I mean? There's a lot of other things that are there. And you know, we can get into the creative conversation and being creative in this and creative in that, but I think really it's really interesting I think it's at a really interesting place right now. One, because I think that, um, I, I mean, worship is the thing that, uh, uh, worship is the thing that you're, you're hearing on Sunday morning. So people want to hear it in their cars and they want to hear 10 different versions of it. Sure. And sure. Yeah. Whether, whether they want to hear it or not is another, is, is, is a really interesting, another argument, but, um, it's what we're giving them, right? It's what radio is giving them. And, um, there's a you know there's a ton of conversation all behind radio, but you know I I think it's I don't know there's a it's a real interesting thing going on right now. Well, two of my favorite Christian albums that have come out over the last I don't know say decade were not on Christian labels and were not explicitly Christian albums. In fact, one of them, Curse Your Branches by David Bazan, is basically his coming out as an atheist and. Um, and that album, to me, is incredibly worshipful and extremely tactful, I think, in the way that it deals to an intellectual response to why faith sometimes doesn't make sense. 
And the other is Carrie and Lowell by Sufjan Stevens, who, and there's just like in the Curse Your Branches album by David Bazan, there's, you know, some heavy topics there and some swear words, uh, which as a kid, you know, if I were printing out the lyric sheet, like, your dad made you do and giving it to my dad like the moment he saw the word damn in there he'd be like yeah you can't listen to this you know and Mm -hmm. it's like and those albums have led me somebody who doesn't really get worship and i hope to talk about this topic uh, a little bit more later but somebody who is a little bit hesitant when it comes to worship uh the meaning of worship to me worshiping in public um the fact that i can listen to these albums and it puts me in a worshipful and reflectful mood um and it it truly makes me feel closer to god i think that that's kind of the entire point that it gives me that connection that i'm sorely missing when i'm just going about my day-to-day business and i i think that that's important but you would never mistake these albums for something that you'll find in the worship section of i don't know lifeway christian bookstore because you never would right i think it's really funny now like when somebody hears that and they're like oh yeah bazan's coming out as an atheist but it makes you feel worshipful i think that begs an explanation (laughs) yeah so you mean an explanation for me yeah totally like yeah yeah um so there are there are songs on there that question why i still believe what i do believe there are songs on there that and I don't want to put words into his mouth, but there are songs on there that even though he considers himself an atheist, they're still directed toward God. And I think also that all of us on on our worst days when it's difficult to uh, walk alongside God, that, that we're all atheists in some respect. Um, you know... Uh, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief is is a, a common phrase for a good reason. Uh, I don't think that the Christian walk necessarily means that we're always going to be in lockstep with with Christ and and what God's will is for our lives. And I think that understanding that and understanding that God is okay when I have questions, no matter how angry or difficult or even blasphemous they are, that God loves hearing from me even if it's just a question about why he is the way he is or who he is i i think that that to me is worship because it's it's forging a connection that wasn't there um both intellectually and emotionally that that is only there because i listened to that music and because it it put me in that in that place does that make sense mm-hmm. yeah i think it's i think it's really interesting I think it's a really interesting observation slash point. I mean, there's a lot of things that speak to us, you know, there's a lot of things that, you know, really, you know, speak to us, speak, you know, and, and, um, especially to our awareness of God and where he is, is that worship? Um, I don't know, you know, so like I define, so I define worship as our response to God for who he is right for who he is and what he's done okay right so that's so that's that's worship to me it's it's our response to him um i so can that be any response though can that be an angry response uh i think i you know that's so funny i think i think um giving glory and praise to him and um the like adoration to what he's due I don't know that you could say like, oh my, you know, I think that's honesty. Sure. I, I, you know, I think, you know, I think Psalms is, is packed with honesty. Oh yeah. I don't know that, um, it's all worship. You know what I mean? Our, it's for who he is and for what he's done, right? Like our response for those things. Um, a response to him for something that we're angry about. I mean... I don't know. What do you? What would you say? So I, I think if we're if we're talking about worship in terms of the psalms, there there are psalms. What they're basically broken into, I think, three categories: um, praise, lament, and history. And there are a couple of historical psalms that are really interesting to me. Becky and I just took this uh, class Bible study on the psalms, and we studied some historical psalms. And it's funny to me that. Um, 
that some of the details in those psalms don't line up with the reality of what happened in the history books of the Bible. So that's like that's an interesting conversation to have. But the the psalmist, whoever he was, um, and I don't want to get into the authorship question, but seemed to uh, lament in the same way that he praised. I don't know if that makes both worship, but it's it's still so it's still intentional to God. It's still poetry. And it's still a a response to what God has done or the perception of what God has done, right? So and so and I'm not saying that worship leaders should get up on stage and like do like okay right now we're we're gonna do a song of anger with God or a song <laughs> uh, about how we want God to pour out His wrath on our enemies. Which is, which is in the book of Psalms, right? Like, I'm mm-hmm. not sure how constructive that would be, but in terms of just, like, your basic question, considering uh, a psalm of lament or a song mm-hmm. of anger or frustration, worship, to me, that would be in the wheelhouse. So, yeah, my answer would be, yeah, I, I do think so. I, you know, like you said, like, yeah, I don't know if that would be encouraging of the saints on Sunday morning to talk. Although, uh, back, man, back in the day, um, Crowder um, wrote this song called God of Wrath. And it was basically, he wrote this, um, he wrote a song to try to really kind of capture several attributes of God, several, you know, kind of sing about all of them. Sure. Because you had the God of, you know, you know, justice and the God of wrath, the God of love, all these things, right? And, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I think there's a difference between, obviously, worship and, and, our, and our response to, you know, our, our honesty to God. Because, like, what would, so, like, what would... Um, what would I don't know that you know our response as far as like an angry response to him would be would be worship um I'm trying to think of a like what would you say would be an instance that you could actually be like all right yeah that would be kind of like worshipful as opposed to like something that's just honesty with God sure um so I I think that the idea of in our Christian lives that we're going to have fears and doubts and frustrations like that's that's just going to mark not only our Christian experience but our human experience right sure and so I I think that as Christians that if I were to put like a a dividing line on it if, if I were to be black and white and say what makes this type of anger worship versus that type of anger when we face God with it I would say that to me it would be worship if there was some sort of resolution um, I, I think that there's there's a lot of resolution even in Psalms of Lament it's not always easy to find but there's at least a resignation there to God an understanding that you know, sometimes even though your ways are higher than my ways and your thoughts than my thoughts, it really doesn't seem like it from down here, but I admit that they still are. And I, I think that that to me would be that dividing line between what is worship and what is just us being angry, petulant people is is putting a rap on it by admitting that God is God, God knows best, and he should be respected and trusted for it, even when we don't feel like respecting him and trusting him for it. And right, that's like that would... the that's like the the obedience is better than sacrifice part of it, right? Like there are going to be times in our life when God just doesn't make sense, and uh, when we feel pain, and that pain leads us to feel the absence of God or the perception of the absence of God, and and those aren't always going to be wrapped up in a neat, tidy bow for us. But I think that our response to God should ultimately always come back to, but you are God and I know that you're good because you remind me so and because your word reminds me so. Sure, sure. Yeah, because you are God. I think that, that okay, so what, yeah, when you like, when you, like that falls under for who he is, right? Sure, sure. Like, okay, so I, when I, we remind him of the qualities that he has, that maybe we're not seeing right now or maybe aren't present in whatever our current reality is then 
that would fit into Grant's personal rubric of worship right there? I think, yeah, I mean, without going, obviously, like, you know, we wouldn't have, you know, we're not going line by line. Is this anger or is this worship? Is this anger? But overall, the overarching idea of, like, listen, this is how I am. This is what I'm feel. This is what I cannot see past, but I know that you're good. Like, this, this is, you know, I cannot see past this situation. I can't see past the fact that my marriage is going to fail. I can't see past... My, fin- my financial situation. I can't see past all these things, and I'm really upset that this is where I am, but I know that you are good. Yep. I know that you are God. I know that I know your nature is good. I know you, uh, you, you know, your plans, uh, back to what you said, your ways are higher than mine, right? I think those are, I think like your honesty in worship is, is, is the key, right? There's, because there's so many people that want to, um, they want to walk in, you know, it's like the age old thing, like, you know, everything's good. I'm cool. Sure. Like, yeah. Know, yeah. There's, and there's not any, any authenticity in that and whatever. And that's their thing that's between them and God and whatever. But there's, you know, I think the beauty of, you know, you know, the, the Psalms is, is obviously, in, you know, you've heard it before, but the authenticity and just the, the absolute, like, this is how I feel, but I know like, where are you at? Like, where are you? But, but but you are good. I know, I know you are. And I, I think, you know, worshiping that and just declaring his goodness in spite or reminding your heart, reminding your emotions, like in, in your worshiping in faith in those situations. There's so many times when people walk in and they're rolling and they're like, listen, I just don't feel like worshiping. Like, I don't feel like worshiping. But like, you're worshiping in faith. When you choose, and it's an, it's an absolute choice. Like, when you worship, it is an absolute choice for you to put, um, to, lift, uh, ad- to lift worship and adoration to God over how you feel, over where you are emotionally. Right. right. So yeah. there. So when somebody rolls in on Sunday morning, is like, listen, I just don't feel like it, man. I just don't feel like it. It's just like, well, you got, you step across that, you step out of that, and you sing out in faith because you know that the God of the uh, the God of the universe has everything under control, has you in the palm of His hand, and His ways are so much higher than yours. His understanding is so much higher than yours. So, but I, I almost th- feel though like this is. <laughs> sorry to cut in, but like no go. But, to, to be the uh, the devil's advocate here like it, Go, it's yeah. almost like it's almost like you're describing me on a Sunday morning because <laughs> because I, I have never I've never been the kind of person to necessarily seek out worship I have literally and you're gonna like probably you know cancel our friendship on Facebook over this but I have literally <laughs> never lifted my hands in worship I've never done it I've never felt compelled to when people say, all right, everybody, let's lift our hand. I don't do it. I don't like doing it. There, mm-hmm. There's a, a very specific reason I don't, I think, a, a specific psychological reason that I don't want to get into right now. And I'll talk about my ther- uh, about it with my therapist this week. But <laughs> That's not even fair how you can say that. I'm like, ah, I'm not going to get into that. That's, uh, that's not even fair. Well, I, so uh, I'll say this, like, so growing up, it seemed like, and I went to uh, a pretty conservative evangelical church, right? It's still my home church. I still love it. But it always seemed like the people who did that kind of thing were the showboats who wanted to show everybody how they're more worshipful and more in tune with God's heart than everybody else was. And in that, in that tradition, like you might have half of the people raising their hands and half not. You know, it always seemed to me like the half of the people that were raising their hands were the ones who, like, cruised into church with a smile on their faces. Everything's good. Everything's perfect. God's blessed me. God's... And you know what? Like, that wasn't my experience. My life hasn't been, like, everything's great all the time. The last four months have been the best months of my life. I love my wife. I love my daughter. But even now, on Sunday morning, there are days that I walk in. I'm like, you know what, God? I'm, I'm not feeling it. Uh, I'm not feeling your presence and uh, I'm, I'm not going to lift my hands because I'm not going to showboat the love and adoration that I do have for you, even though I'm not feeling it right now. I do have that, but I'm not going to make it look to you like like I'm in a more worshipful mood than I feel right now. Like, talk about a lack of authenticity, right? And I feel like it wouldn't be authentic to me to do that. And so, and, and to be clear, 
Grant is the worship leader at my church, so I'm basically telling the worship pastor here that his <laughs> that his music like doesn't move me, which isn't which isn't what I'm saying actually. The the music does move me. In fact, um, we sung a song uh, a couple of weeks ago that was actually the the first time that uh, that I'd ever heard it. And um, shoot, what's the name of that song? Um, it's what the one. Talk about? It's the one that keeps on repeating the phrase "a uh, hundred billion." Oh yeah, uh, the Hillsong United one. Yeah. Yeah. What's it called? Um. Uh, Search through your little book that all worship leaders have that have the chords and notes on them and everything. Anyway, it doesn't matter what the song it's is. Funny. Like, it's funny. It's funny because like every uh, every worship leader or anybody that's part of like a worship team right now is like you know I can't believe he doesn't remember that song. It's it's called it's called So Alive. It's like it's like the most popular song. Oh, is it right now? So so anyway, it was the first time that I'd ever heard it. So it shows like how much yeah. I know about popular Christian music. But um, <laughs> but it like it it moved me to tears literally moved me to tears and that's happened in my life a few times in church services so it's one of only a handful of times that's ever happened so great job to you and the other people on the worship team for like getting me to that point for one of the precious few times in my life that i ever got to that point right i still didn't raise my hands it's well okay let me give you so i just really need to give you backstory just on that okay um, my pat like our pastor loves that song loves that song and it is one of the most popular songs right now um me as a worship leader i'm looking at that song and i'm like yeah, listen this song has like a hundred lines in it that don't repeat like there's a hundred billion lines that repeat hundred billion lines i was like the majority of people in our church like they'll like this is like a snappy famous song for a lot of people like so will i right they know like just the end line to everything right they can hum along just to the end so i'm like listen like from a corporate worship standpoint this is not a great song to to sing it's not you are good you are good oh you are good you are good exactly which is also a great song exactly like you're like you if our if we want people to kind of participate to roll in and do this we cannot do this during worship so one of the things that and and like my our my pastor is just uh, he's awesome he he's just like uh, he's never ever told me what to sing when to sing what to do never yep. he never yep. has which is the coolest thing and like he's he's one of the most freedom giving pastors I've ever met or even heard of so it's so funny though um he was just like and i was like what if we do this the best time to do this would be in a response time at the, at the end of his you know the sermon we can go into it you know what i mean like this would be a time for just to really roll in and yeah i was like if you explain it if you just kind of lay it out a little bit people are going to be so receptive to it so we did it that way and it ruled it was because killer because people people were just were just so tuned into it he laid out exactly the truth in it um it was perfect in lock to what he was talking about and uh people were so open to it and like you know we had the lyrics on the screen and the people who like loved the song and knew every word was cool but it was like you know if you heard the song you know it's it's just it's not like how great is our god where you know like you can get it in like 30 seconds sure sure I mean, I played the song a bunch of times, and I still don't really know it. So, <laughs> right, including right, the name. So, right, exactly the name. <laughs> I knew, I knew it was something. But, um, I. But what happened in that? But like, like I want to go back to what you were saying. Though it would happen in that, you know, in that moment, there was so much, you know, that like you were able to. Um, I don't know. Explain it to me. I don't want to say. I don't want to put words in your mouth. So I don't know. You felt something. Yeah, yeah. Was, I want. Go ahead. Um. So I came into church like as I usually do with like just a few hours of sleep because I have a kid. Um, and uh, every other Sunday I I teach Sunday school, which I really enjoy to to uh, the fifth and sixth grade boys, and and it's awesome. We don't call we don't call it Sunday school in our church. Yeah, I know, but you know I, I'm. I'm old as dirt, so just like that's that's what I call it. Um, but anyway, so you know, I, I I teach these little pupils on Sunday, 
Um, <laughs> but so it was so only twice a month do do I get to uh, enjoy and experience the worship service. Um, and I I love the skill and talent of the band that you've assembled. I love Pastor Ed's preaching. I've never gone to a um, charismatic or semi-charismatic church before, so this is like the first time that I um, am sort of surrounded by people who are really devoted to worship because that's that's kind of a huge thing in the charismatic or semi-charismatic tradition to, to um, really put a lot of thought and effort into the worship set where it's not just like an organist and, and you know, reading from that thick red book. Um, and so when, when I heard the song, um, the thing that attracted me first, because it's, it's not necessarily a simple melody, but the thing that attracted me most was that the lyrics were so honest and so um, outwardly compassionate, I guess, that it wasn't just about what God has done for us or in us, although it does get to that, but that it's just like, it's a, a universal worship song reminding God of who he is and who we are. And and I was just, I was floored by by the cleverness of the whole thing that for whatever reason the lyrics seem to match the melody for once a lot of times you put these generic melodies to to christian worship songs and they fall flat it just it it seems like the song came from uh a, a really sincere writer and composer it was certainly performed by extremely sincere hearts and i was swept up in all of it yeah yeah it was it was a powerful moment for sure i i i do want to go i wouldn't really want to go back to like it's it's funny because you said you were swept up in all of it and you know like normally you were saying how it's just like ah i feel like if i if i raise my hands i'm not being authentic because it's funny because it's i like i think like I don't, like I don't even know that that would be authentic to you. I think that like you, I don't know. I think there's like, you know, obviously I don't want to get like way into this in your response, but like it's. I think that you experience so much, you know, let's call it hypocrisy, like a lot of other people have, or inauthenticity, or whatever you want, or sure, it's a, an, an element of fakeness. It was just like to you that was synonymous with the people who raised their hands the highest which i mean it's, it's all true. over the and, place for sure and, you know for sure and can i say this like that's why i i made a joke about uh talking to a therapist about it because like that is that is like there is a psychological block there that has yeah. that has some um that has some trauma attached to it when you know my mom's sick and and um going through just some tough stuff when I was a kid and then my dad who was a cop like would go to work every day and I wasn't sure you know I was scared that he wouldn't come back that night for dinner and so it's like and and my my uh twin brother and I were like super nerdy and weren't like we were well liked but like weren't the the kind of dudes who uh girls would necessarily be attracted to um not until later, until we became extremely handsome, of course. But, <laughs> but um, so like walking into church, and and I'm not feeling it, and I see these people who have these perfect lives, like praising God, or people who pretended like they have perfect lives praising God. Right, exactly, like, it, because it they upset probably me. don't it, have perfect no, lives. And nobody does, but it upset and offended me because what what that did was it told me that. Um, that they're only in a worshipful mood because life is good for them. And mm. and so why should I put myself in a situation where I'm trying to one-up them with my worshipfulness when, when I'm not even feeling it? And, and and there is, like like I said, there's a bit of trauma there. And so when I come to a church like Victory where it's extremely multicultural and extremely multi-generational... And, and you have people from, like, all different faith backgrounds and, and 
cultural backgrounds and economic backgrounds doing it genuinely, it, it takes me aback a little bit because mm-hmm. then, you know, I feel like the disobedient jerk who's not able to raise his hands with with the, the rest of the people in the church, you know? And so there's, there's a, a component to it which is, like, maybe I'm just not emotionally or psychologically there yet because I, I rag on it, but I see the benefit of it. And I, I understand we were talking the other day about the three types of worship. And, and uh, you said like physical worship is one of those things. And to me, physical worship was always, was always linked to some sort of hypocrisy to me. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people have seen it for sure. I, I think, I, you know, I think the, the nature of God and, who God is supersedes all of that. Sure. And I, that, I think that's one of the things that's like, I think that's one of the things that people choose to, like you can, you can worship emotionally, you can worship like physically, you know, in a, you know, raising your hands or bowing or whatever, and you can worship with your mind and, um, intellectually, mentally, all those things, you know? And I, I think that, I think it's really interesting how most people just say, like they all, they all they do is you know they uh, they are only seeing the emotional response to that, and some people judge for that, and other people don't, and I don't think you should because I, the reasons why we are, are are emotional and have emotions is because we are made in the image of God, and I think emotions is part of our expression. You know, tell your wife that you, you only want to uh, you only only want to love her in your mind and not you know emotionally. Yeah, and yeah, see what happens. You know what I mean? Like it just won't. It just doesn't. You know, that is so a great I, point. I just got to pause you right there uh, because there's a lot of stuff that goes by the wayside when when you've got a kid in the house you know and there's a lot of stuff that the the child just takes precedence over certain things and so one of the things that i'm learning about right now is that i still even though we're busy with a child and even though it seems like all of our time and effort and energy is taking up taken up with this child that we still becky and i have to find time to love each other and to be compassionate to each other to give each other gifts um to and even something just like a a simple hug or a kiss and i love you can can mean the world when time is at a premium so when and when we're talking about worship and our relationship with god being a very real relationship as real as the relationship that i have with my wife that that strikes me because yeah there are times that like that I'm exhausted and I, I just want to go to bed and I don't feel like talking to Becky and debriefing the day with her or whatever um, but you do it because sometimes to give love you have to put yourself out there and take risks and put yourself on a limb and I don't know it's just it's kind of shocking to me that nobody has really made that analogy to me before because I see it I see that that desperation in my relationship, in my marriage, that desperation that we both have for one another. And if we don't have that same desperation for God and that same uh, drive to want to please him and love him with every part of who we are, then what are we even in this for? You know, I go back Mm. to uh, something that Brennan Manning said in a sermon that um, being the point of being a Christian is not just to make better, nicer people who go to church on Sunday maybe tip a little bit better. It's to have um, what he says uh, G.K. Chesterton calls a furious love affair. Mm. And how often during worship is, is, you know, my disobedient, like, sort of um, morose, (laughs) you know, uh, self... (laughs) Um, treating my relationship with God like a furious love affair. Yeah. And so there is a component to it, just like you were saying, that, you know, there's an obedience component. There's a component that you you do it as a response to what God has done for you, sort of regardless of whether you feel like it or not. And and just who he is, like just absolutely who he is. You know, I, you know, it's, 
you know, there's so many people that are, you know, you'll hear sometimes it'll be like, if God doesn't do another thing for you, you should still worship. You know, it's funny. It's like, well, you know, God is always moving on your behalf. Yeah. Right. And, you know, there's a lot of times when you don't see it, you know, maybe in front of you in like the physical where you really see it. But there's, you know, God is always, you know, moving on your behalf. And I, I, again, like we could go so many places with this conversation but i there's so many there's so many things to me when you, when somebody walks in um to a church and uh like i want to i want them to recognize how much god loves them see and right? that's what i was going to ask you is like how do you as a as a pastor and a worship leader like because you know that on on a good sunday there might be like 40% of the people out there who are sitting in the pews or in the chairs or whatever who are not feeling it, right? So what yeah, is your responsibility totally. and how do, you, how do you try to cultivate uh, worshipfulness among people who just either aren't feeling it, don't get it? I know some of the things that you do from like an outsider's perspective is that the church is really welcoming and you guys are really welcoming. And, and, um, and I think that another thing that we miss miss and i wish that we had time to talk about this more and maybe we should do a part two on this discussion i think that would be really useful is um i think the quality of music uh does a lot for the worshipfulness of the people in the church uh, the quality of the music yeah. and the presentation it isn't just affectation it isn't just edifice um or artifice it's it's actually something that's important and substantial to the overall getting people to worship so, but that's that's what I see from an mm -hmm. outsider's perspective. But when you're planning and you spend all week planning for Sunday, like what? How do you um, get yourself into that place where you feel like you know your your net can really capture those those fish that want to stay in the water and don't want to like jump out and get out of that comfort zone when they worship? Yeah, I think you know. There's a lot of there's a lot of things. There's a lot of things that we try to do um, in the a lot of environments and and kind of atmospheres we try to lay out. And um, we want you know we when people come in, we want people to meet God, right? And and my responsibility and my team's responsibility is to lead in that. And so many you know you hear a lot of worship leaders that are just like I don't care if anybody worships. I'm just going to worship and get what I need to get out of it. And they can follow me if they want. And it's just like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's not your yeah, that is not your responsibility in this right now, right now. Your responsibility is to lead the way um, for people to engage and to worship and to respond, right? And it's not just for this to be your own personal little worship time, right? Sure, sure. And I, you know, when we plan things out, you know, we know kind of what you know, Pastor Ed or whoever's speaking. Obviously, most of the time it's Pastor Ed. What he's going to be talking about and we're going to we're going to do our best to communicate that all the way around and to lay the groundwork for that so that when he comes up you know and and he starts to communicate and he starts to speak that people's hearts are open you know we want to we want to have a, a time where people are engaged you know in the beginning where people are engaged and they're responding yeah i think that's why i mean there's a lot of people who want to argue on this and again i could i could just you know, go for hours on this, but there's so many people who are like, yo, it's really important that you, you know, you don't, you know, take attention away from what God's trying to do. So you need to be a stage statue, which is the worst thing of all time. And oh, if yeah. you've been to a show, you know that there, it re you know, not that I'm trying to be like, oh, this is a show, but when you're, when you're a band, you know, when there are things that you're trying to do and trying to engage, stage presence is so much. When you it see, matters. It's a different level when you see yeah, when you, there's a bunch of people that are just look angry on stage as opposed to people that, you know, a team that's smiling and trying to engage and just like, you know, just like, hey, man, we're just here to respond to, to who God is and, and what he's doing, what he's doing in our uh, to celebrate. And some, you know, there there are some of you, you know, there's some of you that your life changed this past week. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like off the top of my head, I know that, you know, there's situations where like you know going into this sunday you know i know there are people where their lives literally fell apart they lost somebody their marriage is you know you know so they got they were cheated on they you know their parent their kids told them that you know there's so many things so many things but like in this we choose to declare that god is good and that we're going to respond to him because he is god and you know 
kind of back to what we were talking about before. And, um, you know, we just kind of lay the way in addition to, you know, um, you know, just encouraging worship and encouraging a response for the people. We're going to like lay the way so that people's hearts are open to hear what God wants to say to them. I mean, maybe he wants to speak directly into that situation, you know, and uh, maybe that's what Pastor Ed is planning. Maybe that's what he's going to say. And the Holy Spirit's just kind of going to go and pinpoint that, you know, you, you like and you do your best that you can to plan so that the Holy Spirit can have, you know, so that you can have freedom, the Holy Spirit can have freedom. Um, and there's in like in that framework, so much can happen. And um, I know, think uh... I was going to say like it went, and then when somebody crosses the line of faith, right, when when somebody crosses from, you know, dark to light, from death to life, when they cross the line of faith, that's like the ultimate home run. Right. And like that's you know we when when that happens everything that we've done everything everybody that serves everybody that um, you know that plans all those things is so people can experience God and experience the goodness of God in that. Yeah, I think um, I think that you've given us like a, a really great perspective on how things work from your end. And while I think I think. It, that's probably that home run analogy is probably a great way to wrap it up for today um i think you and i should have an agreement right now that next week we're going to come back and do part two of this because there are a couple of topics that i wanted to talk about um and and i just want to preview them right now the one thing uh, i wanted to talk about was from your memory like what was a time that you just killed it on a worship set that you went in and um and it bore fruit way more than you thought that it would and then a time and all all pastors and worship leaders and everybody who has to speak or do something publicly has this um when when you uh went out there and what you're trying to do fell flat so next time that will be something that i would like to talk about and um i'd also like to Mm -hmm. delve a little bit more and and we discussed this uh just really quickly earlier but I'd also like to talk uh, a little bit about um, what worship music and the dovetail between worship music and secular music. Uh, I know, for example, a few years ago, like it was popular for all worship bands to like sort of sound like you two, and then after that, it was like I don't know Radiohead and then Coldplay. Like it seems like people really love to model their worship after like European <laughs> bands. So, but but I I don't think that's a bad thing. I think there's value in that, and and I want to talk about. Um, right. and I'm I'm totally serious about this. I want to talk about like what what worship music can learn from and can incorporate from other styles of music and other markets of music, whether Christian or secular, and and what that looks like to you as a worship leader, just from like more of a technical and musical standpoint for those people who really like talking about music and hearing us talk about music, I think that could be a really fun topic for next time. Yeah, totally. I'm, I'm down, man. It's, um, you know, I love talking about this. This is kind of like, you know, obviously it's my thing. So I, yeah, we could totally run with that. That's all. That's, that's, that's going to be a fun conversation. Absolutely. So let's do that. And we will see everybody back here next week. Are we going to try to put these up like at the, on the same day every week now? Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm going to try to do that. Sure. <laughs> we'll work on it. So to be continued, Absolutely. but, um, <laughs> before we head out, like, uh, we, we always like to discuss like what we're reading, what we're listening to, what we're thinking about. So this week, what are you listening to? What are you reading? What are you watching? Um, there's a few things, man. I like, I'm, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm on all kinds of things right now. Like I'm, I'm on like, uh, a, a bunch of different things I'm reading. Like, so I always try to read something when it comes to like church leadership and all those kind of things. I'm, I'm reading this book by Andy Stanley right now called Deep and Wide, which is like... Um, I love that, dude. His book, Strong and Weak, like totally changed my life. It, here's the thing is that like he... I'm a pastor's kid and he's um, a pastor's kid and uh, I like it what he says and how he speaks resonates with me like yeah. a ton yeah you know 
and he just like speaks my language. So when he when he talks about church leadership, and he's obviously one of the most you know um, effective you know uh, pastors and communicators and all those things. You know, um, when when he when he speaks, it's just uh, it it really you know it really really resonates with me. Um, That's awesome for sure. As far as what I'm listening to, as far as what I'm listening to, there's this um, there's this this girl named Sasha Sloan and there's this EP called Sad Girl and um, it's like you know it's explicit so like whatever your views are on that you know for sure but whatever but it to me is a um, I really just love the way it's produced really really love the way it's produced and I've been like man I've been like it's been on repeat I'll have to check that out also I've been like yeah, it's really good. Also, I've been like just binging on Thrice Records regularly. Like, nice. So. Talk about uh, oh, great musicians who are worship leaders, right? Yeah, and yeah, exactly. And um, there's this metal band called uh, For All Eternity, and uh, their album The Will to Rebuild is awesome. So I don't know. I'm on a I'm on a real hard music like kick right now. Although. Um, Sasha, she's like, you know, singer-songwriter, so. I'm on a hard music kick, too. Um, today, and I've been listening to it for the past week, not illegally, it was just streaming on NPR. Um, one of my favorite bands, Deaf Heaven, just came out with their new album called Ordinary Corrupt Human Love. And they are, like, if you, if you mm. were to mix black metal with shoegaze, that's what they are. I absolutely love them. Their Jeez. new album is, is phenomenal. Um, and, um... And then this is kind of funny. So for the past, um, I think five months, I've had the song "Rosanna" by Toto stuck in my head, and it's been the worst thing because I don't know any of the words. <laughs> so like I'm, you know, at the grocery store, I'm like walking through the grocery store, picking up some cheese to eat tonight. Rosanna, Rosanna, like I'm just singing it to myself without knowing right. any of the words. And then um, a couple of weeks ago, like, Weezer did a cover of it. It's like so, me with So Will I. Yeah. yeah, right, right, yeah. And so a couple of weeks ago, Weezer did a cover of it. And so I was like, oh, this is cool. I'll listen to it. And then it got the song stuck in my head again. So while I've been really enjoying the new Deaf Heaven album, um, I'm also, like, constantly in my head listening to Rosanna by Toto slash Weezer. So, so that's what's been going on with me. That's awesome. <laughs> All right. That's As awesome. always, it was a pleasure awesome, doing. Rules. It was a pleasure doing this podcast. It was a pleasure talking to you. We'll be back with you next time with uh, part two of worship. We'll delve a little bit more into the music and the creative side rather than the the uh, spiritual and the philosophical side. I'm really gonna dig it. I'm gonna start making notes right now about my favorite and least favorite worship songs and why I love them and especially why I hate them. <laughs> so, hey, awesome. you know, we all have loves and hates. It's fine. I'm not going to say anything bad about you. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> all right, man. No, that's cool, man. You can. It's all right. I wouldn't. Cool. All right. All right, we'll see you next time on the Love War Podcast. I'm Grant, and it's Brian. We'll see you soon. See ya. Bye-bye. Love War.